This is Dissecting Dragons, the speculative fiction podcast for writers and readers by writers and readers. Hello and welcome to Dissecting Dragons, the speculative fiction podcast for writers and readers by writers and readers. I'm Madeleine Vaughan. And I'm Jules Ironside. This week, Gentle Giants and Brick Outhouses, the tank character in speculative fiction. Yes, listeners, that's right. Today, we're going to be talking about tanks. <laughs> to all tank enthusiasts out there, you are going to be really disappointed with this episode because we're not talking about actual armoured vehicles. No, we're not. Uh, we are talking about the, the, the characters. So I, I think, first of all, why this episode? Um, I think it's because the... Uh, well... This is kind of a deep dive into a particular character trope, mm-hmm. and it's one that often gets overlooked. So uh, we'll go into this in more detail in a moment, but in your basic band of, merry band of travellers, um, the big guy, the tank, is is the one that doesn't really get an awful lot of attention. Mm. And yet he is quite often the glue that holds the others together. Yeah. Um, so he deserves some attention. He, she, it can be a she, it's, yeah. it's really not a gender thing. They, whoever. Um they <laughs> the thing is i love the tank character uh, but they do often kind of get put aside to second fiddle and they often don't get sort of uh, developed that much but they are a crucial part of any sort of band and you'll find them all the way going back in mythology um in folklore i mean prime example obviously of the tank character in english legend is of course little john from from Robin Hood. Now there's a tank if you ever saw one. <laughs> yeah. Um, now you can have, or say tank, we're, we're mostly saying tank, we mean the powerhouse mm-hmm. character. Um, you do get powerhouses as lone MCs, mm-hmm. so main characters in their own stories. Um, but they seem to come into their own weirdly. Well, weirdly, they come into their own when they're part of a team, and yet they still fade into the background. So it's a weird dichotomy, but that's how it seems to work. Mm, yeah, absolutely. I think ultimately, a lot of people don't like having solo stories about the tank because they can appear quite overpowered sometimes, depending on the story. And also because a lot of the time, and obviously we're going to kind of get into this in a little bit more detail, the tank can is usually kind of dis- described as being a little bit simple or, or shown not to necessarily be that great at strategy. And if they are very good at all of these kind of other things, um, they kind of become overpowered in every sort of sense of the word, in every sense of the word. So yeah. they do tend um, to be part of a large thing. And we'll go into that in more detail. If I... Our next, since our next point is what exactly is a tank or a powerhouse, let's yeah. talk about that now. Yes. So let's say you have a basic five-man band in your science fiction fantasy novel. Mm-hmm. Um, you will have a leader character who is generally quite charismatic but not brilliant at everything, but somehow he's the one with the direction and the quest. Mm. I'm saying he, she, they, whoever. Yeah. Um, they might have one have... particular thing that they're very, very good at, but for the most part, yeah. They're, yeah, they're the leader character. You'll also have a, well, some people say Lancer, I say Ranger. Mm-hmm. I say Ranger because I'm thinking sort of Aragorn, Lord of the Rings, <laughs> but you know. Ranger. <laughs> ranger. And I don't mean a Texas Ranger either. I mean Ranger as in usually uh, someone who's a bowman, quite handy with a sword, mm-hmm. um, quite good at tracking, I don't know, a forager if you're on a science fiction vessel type thing. Yeah. 
um, you have someone who plays the heart, you know, the person who cares about everybody else and connects them all. You generally have a smart guy or a smart girl or a smart non-binary person. Yeah. And then you have the powerhouse. So, you know, teams can be much larger than five people, depend but five is usually a good number for a team if mm-hmm. you are writing science fiction fantasy because it's not too big and it's not too small. Yeah, absolutely. So looking at the powerhouse, the powerhouse is usually, but not always, the big guy or big girl. So usually they're easy to spot if they are, they're, they're very muscular, they're incredibly large, etc. So if we kind of, I'm just trying to think of some, some good examples. Well, we're going to get yeah. to the examples we'll get to some later. We'll examples so. in a little bit. Um, so they're the big guy and they are usually the, the heaviest hitter. So they're the heavy hitter and they can soak up the most damage without going down. Yeah, I mean, the, if you think about in terms of D&D, usually in your D&D team you will have someone who plays plays the tank, basically. Mm-hmm. And they might be very skilled, but more often than not, they can just take an awful lot of punishment and they give the others some space to then sort of get their more complicated skill sets working. Yeah, absolutely. Um, they're basically the support who strengthens the entire team. Yeah. Um, they'll tend to do one thing very, very well, and that one thing might just be incredible strength (laughs) i will lift enemy up over my head and toss them to the side (laughs) but not always definitely um what's what it usually comes down to is their skill set is generally not complicated it's simple it's functional it gets results it's reliable um and it's badass and the thing is they're usually the most reliable fighter so you might have way better fighters in the team way better people who are who are better with swords or better with uh, laser blasters or what have you, who are better shots. But some flaw in their, their makeup, in their characterization, means that they are not the most reliable fighter. Maybe they've got a huge ego. Um, maybe they're a bit of a loose cannon. Maybe they're a maverick. Maybe they're fine until someone mentions their mother and then all bets are off. You yeah, know? absolutely. Um, or maybe there there'll be if you have one who's very overpowered, there might just be one particular thing which will get them off the field. So, good example, kryptonite. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, we, we've skipped a bit yeah, there. Yeah, sorry, the, sorry. the point is that the the powerhouse is the most reliable fighter yeah, on the team. The, yeah, um, we'll talk about overpowering in a bit. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, how do you spot a powerhouse? <laughs> Well, as we've said, it could be the biggest or strongest character. So Madeline already mentioned Little John from mm-hmm. the Robin Hood Legends. Uh, we don't actually know that character is a big guy. We assume that it's John Little and they said Little John as kind of a medieval pun because he was actually a big guy. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, but it could just be someone who has moderate strength or skill mm-hmm. who is generally quite pleasant. Um, it's kind of a beware the quiet man trope because this is someone who doesn't have anything to prove. They're confident in themselves. They know they're good and simple and functional what they do and they know they can be relied upon. And that makes them very, very dangerous. Yeah, absolutely. Um, It's funny because the powerhouse has been so strongly associated with being 
a huge kind of buff man that everyone thinks whenever whenever you think of powerhouse or tank you think of someone who is very very large but actually the role can be applied to people who you don't necessarily expect to be the powerhouse um so a good example of this weirdly enough is actually for anyone who's ever watched the anime or read the manga of inuyasha um everyone will know that the main character Inuyasha is incredibly powerful, but weirdly enough, he's not the powerhouse. He's more of a kind of the leader. Weirdly enough, the monk, Miroku, is the powerhouse because he has this, this, uh, this power, this hole in his hand, which is basically like a black hole. And if he activates it, he can literally suck anything in all of reality out of existence and he, he's the powerhouse weirdly enough um but obviously there are complications behind that and we'll go into sort of complications and overpowering later on so it doesn't necessarily always have to be the biggest person it's someone who can re- who, who, who's reliable in a fight who can take on a huge amount of responsibility and that doesn't necessarily have to be a physical fight you can have sort of like powerhouses in in different sort of areas but it's like the bulldozer the someone person who can just be relied upon to really really get the job done sort of no questions asked so they're not always what you expect them to be yeah um another other ways of spotting the powerhouse it can be the person who well there's there's often one person with a comically heavy weapon that no one else can lift yeah um Sometimes this weapon is even affectionately referred to by a nickname by its owner. Mm-hmm. Um, and generally that is the powerhouse character. Yeah. As well. Uh, this, is, this is not the same as saying um, like Excalibur or something where it's clearly a weapon has chosen somebody. It's a special weapon. This is literally kind of like, yeah, this is my chainsaw sword. This is chainsaw Dave kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> everyone else is quietly horrified by this terrible weapon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um <laughs> you'll often see them kiss or they might also their weapon might be these are my guns and then they pat their biceps and kiss them kind of thing um but it's it's definitely one way to or they might have a gun for an arm that's another pow- uh, popular powerhouse thing <laughs> yes i've lost a limb but i've replaced it with something far more dangerous <laughs> Um, alternatively, it can be the person who appears to be unarmed until they are asked to disarm, and then they produce more weapons than anyone should be able to conceal about their person. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the thing is that when you get sort of a larger crew and you don't have five, you might kind of have the powerhouse kind of split between two people, as in like someone who's very very sneaky and then someone who's very physically kind of powerful but if it's if we're talking about the five crew then yeah absolutely you do get this trope of just the okay and they put it they they pull out the swords and and then they pull out the mace and <laughs> where were you keeping that the daggers out of the hair yeah. and it's like okay that and someone will, someone will nearly always say this is a stock thing it's like yeah okay is that all of it oh yeah that's all of it yeah okay what about the blade you've got in your beard yeah <laughs> uh, okay and the ones in your belt okay give me your belt and your shoelaces so to the point where they are literally kind of stripped down to their underwear yeah. because you don't know where else they might yeah. concealed things. <laughs> remove the knife squeezed between your buttocks please um they've just it, it's endless 
So that's another way to spot uh, the powerhouse. Um, then there's also the version which is that they don't actually have any weapon at all because they are the weapon. <laughs> I kind of like that version. Mm. It's a case of they might have a sword or something, but generally they don't really bother taking weapons along with them. And someone will always say at some point that... Do you need a shield? Should you be wearing armor? No, 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 I don't need it. (laughs) You're being very, very overconfident. You're going to get shot or something. No, 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 I'll be fine. And they absolutely are fine until they put themselves in danger for somebody else. It's it's the thing in in BBC Merlin that always made me laugh, because he always knew Percival was the powerhouse because he was the only character without sleeves. (laughs) obviously he's the powerhouse because they haven't given him sleeves so that you can really see those biceps (laughs) (laughs) no armour for you powerhouse (laughs) Um, the characters can be also light comic relief Um, the guy everyone teases the papa bear Uh, the one everyone likes but no one has you know on page or on screen opinions or personal connections with or it can kind of be the other thing which is that you have the powerhouse um who everyone's like oh they're big and tough and they're actually just a massive softy yeah but they're the one that they're kind of like okay if you don't tell me this i'm going to let like um i don't know thor have you or whatever yeah (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this guy sort of just flexes and like, oh my god he could tear my limbs off okay 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 the, the, the crystal is hidden under the rock <laughs> and then, then it turns out later when they, they've taken this new person on board and gradually in, inducted them into the team that this guy makes dinner for everybody all the time and you know worries about that the, their colds and things yeah and has has a little fluffy animal companion or something like that just a tiny chipmunk or something <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Not going to lie, that's my favourite version of the powerhouse. Yeah, I mean, there are obviously versions of the powerhouse where it's not a nice guy. Yeah. And often a not a nice guy who is a not particularly intelligent guy, but kind of you point them at the action, you tell them where to go, and limbs will come off and heads will roll kind of thing. And they're very, very useful. Yes, absolutely. Um, so, I mean, it can go either way, but I definitely prefer the sort of, yeah, you look really mean, but you're kind of like a big papa bear kind of Yeah. <laughs> Uh, we're getting we're getting into our personal preferences <laughs> definitely i think the thing is you don't necessarily really think uh, and obviously this is the point of our episode is that you don't really think about this character alone as a trope until you start considering okay well okay here's my basic five person band mm-hmm. um, and then there's this guy that we never talk about yeah absolutely yeah um, but he really is kind of well for me. He's the heart of the of the group that you kind of need him, um, and he he's almost inevitable. Um, people overlook him, but he's he's always there. And I say yeah, he I mean, doesn't have to be a he, but lurking. I mean, we said we we sort of said with our basic five person band. You know, we have someone who plays like the heart of the group, mm-hmm. and it is a role that can be passed around. I think a better term than heart is probably someone who plays the moral conscience of the group. Yeah. Absolutely. The one who calls people back to good behaviour, um, which, you know, means that quite often the powerhouse can also be the heart as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So how are powerhouses used in fiction? 
Well, <laughs> the first big thing is that the powerhouse comes in and that is the signal to the heroes that everything is going to be okay because the powerhouse is the cavalry. Yeah, basically, if they're all in a fight and they're, they're desperately scrabbling for their lives and then, you know, this massive... Well, not or maybe not massive. This one character turns up, it's kind of like the tide turns. The tide turns on that character's arrival. Yeah, this is every Justice League um, cartoon ever. Where it's like, yeah, oh no, much. what do we do? And then Superman arrives. Which, yeah, I mean, we'll talk about the Justice League yeah, cartoon it, it, specifically. Yeah, but in a minute. But um, it, yeah. It's weird because, you know, Wonder Woman should also be a powerhouse. She's very nearly as strong as Superman. Yeah. But she kind of gets relegated to playing the heart, I think. I think she does, except there have been, in some of the more recent movies, for example, she has, she's been the powerhouse as well. And it's weirdly enough, like, with within Wonder Woman, for instance, um, she's the main character, but she's also the powerhouse in a lot of ways. She yeah. is the cavalry, so it, it's funny how kind of things have been sort of moved around. But yeah, essentially, when the... Uh, when the tank arrives, when the powerhouse arrives, this is the signal to everyone else that everything is going to be okay, that the tide has turned. Yeah. Um, another way they used, uh, they hold off the bad guys while the leader and the ranger or the smart guy do the fiendishly tricky work the mission requires on the down low. So while the powerhouse is being all big and impressive or all dangerous and impressive and drawing enemy fire, the others are able to sneak around the back Yeah, and, you know, steal the crown or you know yeah whatever it is whatever the quest item is it is it's it's one of those particular and and you never actually really think about how bad it is because because you've just got the main character he's facing off against the evil wizard and you're like oh wow he's gone through such a difficult battle and then you've got the powerhouse who's holding off a literal army on his own (laughs) (laughs) the ones where i think it's worked best for me probably because it appeals to my sense of humor is when you leave the powerhouse like facing off this army, maybe with a small squadron of, of hand-picked warriors or whatever, but mm-hmm. you can tell this is, it rests on this person's shoulders. And they're all fighting away, and the leader goes off and has his big showdown with the bad guy, and through great trial and travail, finally succeeds. And they come back, and the army and this other guy are still going. The powerhouse is still standing. I mean, he's shaking, he's covered in blood and sweat and other unmentionable fluids. <laughs> and And they kind of have to say... You can stop now. Did you not see that big lightning storm? Oh, yeah, but you didn't give me the order. <laughs> but yeah, but you know, clearly he's dead. Half, half their army, you know, the dead half, the ones that reanimated corpses, that they've fallen down. <laughs> <laughs> that was the signal to stop. I kind of like it, though. It's like, just hold out for as long as you can. They come back and he's just sort of dusting his hands. <laughs> he's done or something like that. What else you got? Yeah. <laughs> it's also the one where you get the powerhouse and they're like, okay, we've got enemies ahead. All right, we're going to have to be very clever in how we... Okay, and then the powerhouse will literally just sort of run right in. Um, or even just sort of waltz in and be like, hi, can we? And then, and just defeat everybody in an instant and then be like, okay, coast is clear that's another way that the powerhouse is used yep definitely um yeah powerhouse also signals that this particular enemy is not anything they've faced before generally by getting knocked out straight away the minute a new threat turns up on the scene um this can be a very very badly drawn trope and we're going to talk about it more a bit later Mm. but literally 
if somebody comes on and it's like, ah, this is this new world is verdant and green and sublime and it shall be mine kind of thing. Oh, I see you. You're actually the biggest threat in that group. The rest of them don't bother me and knocks the powerhouse out straight away. Yeah. Yeah. It's and the... the powerhouse does not get knocked out generally, I think is the thing. Yeah. And, and unless he does. But we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, but yeah, it's, oh gosh, we really know the, the absolute reality of this threat because they've they've managed to one punch out our our powerhouse um and that's how you kind of alarm everybody it's it's a very good show don't tell kind of um uh, strategy but it can be overused yeah um and again we'll talk about that in a little bit uh, more detail later on um essentially the powerhouse very most importantly strengthens and enhances every member of the group with their presence yeah um you know they I'm, I, we talk about them being the heart i think maybe the backbone is <laughs> yeah it, i think when you have a character who turns up and the others kind of like fight with renewed vigor because everything's going to be okay mm-hmm. and the tide will turn in their favor then yeah, that that's someone whose presence enhances what's already there in the group. Yeah. Um, but if you want to be anatomical about it, Madeline's right. This is the spine of the group. This is the backbone. Because generally, if the powerhouse somehow gets broken in the story, then the backbone of the group is broken and the group quite often fractures for a while. Mm-hmm. And it's like the other characters kind of act as the limbs, if you like, and one of them's the head. Um, this has all gone in a very weird direction. But, you know, following <laughs> the metaphor, it does kind of work like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. The powerhouse is usually the team member who gets on with everyone or at least has some relationship with them. Maybe with one notable exception. Yeah. There'll be one person. <laughs> so, I mean, if you're thinking Guardians of the Galaxy, for example, and I cannot remember the character's name, but he is the uh, the the alien. I say alien. They're all aliens, technically. <laughs> Um, the big guy the big guy who takes things incredibly literally oh my god why oh my god why why? have i just forgotten his name i just had it Um, yeah see it's like you could argue groot is a powerhouse but groot is very unreliable so it's not it's this one particular reliable guy who in uh, some ways just doesn't get interactions between people yeah oh god what's his name i am going to find this out because it's gonna (laughs) drive me insane I cannot believe I've forgotten his name. You uh, know when you go to say something and the word literally disappears out of your mouth Drax. before you can say it? Drax. 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 <laughs> so it's like Drax. And, okay, we've only seen two sort of episodes film-wise of Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. But Drax clearly gets on with pretty much everyone. Um, but in each film, he'll have one notable exception, and then by the end of the film, it's kind of like, oh, you were right, you are family after all, yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Dra- Drax is definitely a good example of, of the powerhouse in a lot of ways. Also because he he ultimately comes into his own by becoming part of the group, which is what we touched on before. He's not able yeah. to do everything on his own. So, um, in most ex- in in the most extreme cases, uh, the powerhouse may die in a moment of heroic sacrifice, so that the rest of the team can complete the mission. 
and these are the ones you I think I mean you do find them in films and TV series but mm. you definitely see this in books mm-hmm. and it's it it's always really tragic because they're nearly always the powerhouse that you you establish a personal connection with yeah and it, it all harks back to sort of Cullen tying himself to the rocks to continue fighting because he knows he's gonna die yeah absolutely or you know at one point in Lord of the Rings we we don't like Boromir for a lot of fellowship of the ring but then having realized the mistake he's made and the fact the ring has influenced him he he literally fights to the death and it takes he takes a hell of a lot of killing um to buy time for frodo to get away and to try and defend uh pippin and mary even though he's not successful yeah but it buys enough time that the others can catch up and and pick up the orc trail yeah absolutely uh I mean, in in some ways, you could almost argue on some level, Hodor in Game of Thrones was yeah, it was, was a powerhouse character. That I mean, that's so awful. It's hold the door, and then you realize, oh god, that's just still a sort of really disturbing, chilling moment even now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and <laughs> his death is just horrific. It's really horrific. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so yeah, the the powerhouse might might die or appear to die. In some versions, they don't actually die; they they can be revived. Um, but it tends to be a big heart moment. And again, as Jules said, the powerhouse, if they die, they tend to have also been a bit of the heart of the group too. So um, yeah. Um, without giving spoilers, just a brief mention about the most recent series of Castlevania, because. The interesting thing about the team in Castlevania is they all they all pass the roles of, you know, heart, um, skillsman, a clever person, and and powerhouse tank between them, with um, Trevor Belmont probably being the powerhouse more often, mixed in with something else as well, yeah. mixed in perhaps with the ranger or the loner character. Yeah, absolutely. Um <laughs> It's yeah, no spoilers, no, but no, I was like, oh god, no, no, no spoilers at all. It's funny because Trevor Belmont is also one of the most useless powerhouses, but also an amazing powerhouse. Because Trevor Belmont, out of all of the team, is the one who seems to get tossed around the most. Yeah, he does, but he's also the one who then gets up again, and he's quite good at holding um, demons and night creatures off long enough for the others to take care of them. Yeah, absolutely. But again, it's also interesting because he's someone who who just seems to be able to pick up any weapon and already have a master master level of it. Yeah, you know, so that definitely very very good. Okay, so let's just talk about solo powerhouses. So solo powerhouses are when the powerhouse is the main character. Um, and when they are the main character, they do tend to have crossover with the loner archetype as well. Yeah. Um, so I'm just trying to think that I'm trying to think of a, uh, some good examples. I mean, Madeline already talked about Wonder Woman in mm-hmm. you know Wonder Woman her own film, where she's clearly the main character and also the powerhouse. Yeah. Um, but she's also got something of the innocent about her if we're talking archetypes as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you don't tend to get a powerhouse main character who is just a powerhouse because I guess usually a powerhouse is fairly settled in who they are and there's not much room for character development. Mm-hmm. 
in the same way as there is for somebody who is, you know, filled with uncertainties and has to prove themselves. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, it it doesn't happen very often, and as you say, that there, there does tend to be sort of a lot of crossover. Um, whenever it does happen, um, they are very rarely you know that it very rarely happens in teams or if it does becoming part of the team is what makes them give up their need for revenge or their desire to be alone which is usually what kind of starts them off i mean even yeah. looking at drax as a character that's essentially what happens to drax he's not the main character they're all kind of their own main characters their own stories um yeah. but becoming part of the team is what ultimately sort of allows him to he doesn't give up on his revenge but he he does he is able to you know push away that desire to be alone and to connect with other people um, and at that point, they would literally die for any of their new family. Yeah, they really are the heart of a found family mm. in that respect. So if you get a powerhouse mixed with a loner and they end up finding a team that accepts them and takes them on, and then you get to the... They're quite often sort of grumpy and misanthropic right up into the point where it's kind of like, no, you all belong to me now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of made me think, oh, this is what I did with Gregory Maudsley. <laughs> yes, Gregory is the powerhouse, isn't he? <laughs> it's like, good at, yeah, good at fighting and, and wants to be alone, very much wants to be alone, right up until he really doesn't. And <laughs> I think the, the best powerhouse moment for me, for Gregory, is just when he catches the the religious guy accosting Eleanor on the top of the battlements <laughs> and he just goes yoink and puts him up over his head and tosses him over the battlements <laughs> he eats him over the battlements this is, for those who haven't read The King's Knight, basically Gregory had to have an arranged marriage with this um, Scottish woman who seemed to have besmirched her virtue, they were not getting on very well at this point in the early stages of their marriage but he needed her dowry and um, Eleanor gets uh, Eleanor gets approached by a summoner. In medieval terms, a summoner was someone who could turn up with a legal writ and demand that you appear before a um, a church-based uh, jury who would then fine you or punish you. If you could not pay the fine, then you generally had to do the penance. Mm -hmm. um, and this guy just sort of turns up and, and threatens her with you know, charges of adultery, which would have been completely unreasonable, but, you know, she thinks she's friendless in a strange home. Mm -hmm. And in some cases in, in, in that sort of era, adultery was met with, you know, burning the woman to death. Yeah. So these are, these are not light charges. And despite the fact he does not get on with her, Gregory's kind of like, how dare you waltz into my house without even saying, without even, you know tipping your cap to me and start threatening my wife <laughs> if she's cheating on me that's my business not yours out you go <laughs> and uh, throws him over the battlements um into what is colloquially known as a honey cart but um is actually just a big wagon full of all the shit that has been collected from around the castle <laughs> hooray um yes <laughs> my favorite so yes i didn't really think really think about that that but um like oh yeah i did write a powerhouse yeah 
Um, action movies specifically targeted for a male audience will often feature a premutation of this kind of character, though. Um, I think sort of Arnold Schwarzenegger really kind of uh, popularized that sort of character, the the big kind of tank character who's the main character. And so, you know, people who are played by The Rock or stuff like that as well. Or Vin Diesel. I mean, if yeah. you're thinking things like the Fast and the Furious films or anything with Jason, Jason Statham as a lead, mm-hmm. usually, or um, Triple X, which is basically about a bloke turned assassin for a good cause mm-hmm. and he is quite clearly a powerhouse character who's just a little bit more clever than your average powerhouse yeah uh, e- um, even the um the chronicles of riddick and stuff like that as well they are they're yeah, powerhouses yeah. i mean they they can be really good fun those films mm. but i okay i am not the target audience for the fast and the furious films if you love them great I, i'm glad you really enjoy them they're clearly not for me but they're also not pretending to be anything that they're that they're not this is a case of you want to see car chases we will give you car chases we will give you high octane and big blokes and sex kind of thing yeah absolutely yeah so let's talk about the problem with powerhouses yes um now, because powerhouses strengthen the team and they even the odds up, so they're facing terrible odds where the powerhouse shows up and everyone goes, yay, the fight is won. Um, a writer may have trouble coming up with a convincing physical conflict that the team cannot punch their way out of. Mm. So this is kind of the classic issue of overpowering characters. We've talked about this a lot in conjunction with Sarah J Mass's characters because she kind of tends to power her characters up to the, the extent where whereby none of the, the, the main characters should be overpowered by anything at all, except one of the other main characters. So she then has to invent this sort of MacGuffin type thing where, or, you know, this this plot device that technically takes them out of the loop for a little while. Um, this is a really unfortunate and quite clunky way of doing things. Yeah. Um... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean... It is the kryptonite thing. I mean, I think we all accepted the kryptonite thing with Superman because basically Superman is God. Yes. You know, someone who... He, he's just shy of being all-powerful and omnipotent. Yeah. So if you have God on your team, you're probably not going to lose very often. So you need something that takes God out of the loop, hence the kryptonite. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's funny because... Um, there's This is the big problem, is that you can... You can mitigate that in a in a good way in a in a very interesting way um or you can it it can just be as you say it could be a MacGuffin kind of thing so I think my problem with Sarah J Mass is you all right again I'm not gonna sort of shit all over this but I have already said how how bothered I was by the whole pregnancy thing in A Court of Silver Flames because that should not have been a problem for any of them (laughs) But then the whole thing is that, well, she can't use her magic at this time because she's pregnant. And I was just well, like, apparently, really? No one else can use theirs <laughs> either. No one else can. <laughs> and, you know, they're, they're also developed in some ways that, um, what, nobody's come up with any decent medical techniques? Yeah. Even veterinary medicine, for God's sake. Anyway, yeah. yes, it's, it's, it's really stupid. Yeah. Um, so that, 
I, I had a lot of difficulty with that, also for a number of different reasons, which we're not going to talk about. Um, but it can also be, it can be done very, very well. So previously I mentioned Miroku from Inuyasha. And so he's got this black hole in the palm of his hand, right? Which literally, it's called, he calls it Kazana. And if he sort of exposes it, he has to sort of seal it, but if he exposes it to people, then he, um, it, it will literally just suck everything in. Every little tiny bit in, it will, it will suck them in. So it's great if he's got a horde of kind of, um, a horde of sort of demons. The problem is, there are two problems with it. First of all, every time he uses it, it gets bigger. Yeah. Until eventually what's going to happen is it will take over his entire palm and it will suck him in and he'll Yay. die. So <laughs> so he has to be very sparing in how he uses this massively over overpowered move. The second thing is that by absorbing certain things, he, he will actually be affected by some of the things that he absorbs. So for instance, he, there are these special, someone has created these kind of these poisonous bugs, which will sting him as they go in and thus poison him. Um, so it means that even when he's like willing to use it, he can't necessarily because there'll be these poison bugs. And sometimes he goes, well, I'm just going to let myself get poisoned because I need to do this. Um, but it, it does mean that he hesitates. And for me, I thought that was quite well done because otherwise he could just go black hole and <laughs> just, the, yeah. the enemy shows up and he literally just sucks him up. And that would have been <laughs> a very easy, convenient way of doing it. Another simple one. I mean, another simple one that I really liked was in the the cartoon series Invincible, mm -hmm. where you've got Monster Girl, who on the new team is clearly kind of the powerhouse. Yeah. But every time she transforms into this huge ogre type creature, when she transforms back, she's a little bit younger again. Yeah. So she's regressing age wise, and eventually she's going to have regressed to the point where she doesn't really understand what's going on anymore, and then she'll be back to being a baby. And finally, presumably. <laughs> if you follow things to their conclusion so her great strength is also her great weakness she can't just be profligate with her power mm. yeah absolutely it, it <laughs> I, I really did like her story in that because she was just there like i'm you know she looks like she's sort of 12 um and she's in her 30s Yes. Um, so, so yeah, she they have this whole training regime, and she's like, I can't complete compete this complete this training regime because if I do, you know, by the time we get to an actual battle, I'll be a toddler. Yeah, you'll be changing my diapers. Is that really yeah. what you want? Yeah, um, exactly. So yeah, that was really well done, and didn't feel contrived. And it, it, I think the problem is with overpowering and the powerhouse is it can feel contrived. So. Yeah. Um, Madeline mentioned the Justice League earlier and the whole thing where basically Superman has to get punched through a wall so, um, so that it allows the rest of the team five minutes to display their talents before he then digs himself out of the rubble and comes in and saves the day at the very end. Yeah. And uh, they, they're like, well, we've got to give, we've got to, <laughs> we've got to have one reason why this very human enemy, be it Luther or Batman or someone like that, is able to stop Superman and sort of fight on his level. So what we'll yeah. do is <laughs> we'll invent this magic rock. Um, and it, it, yeah. it, depending how it's used, it can be done quite well. Um, and then at the same time, it can be, you know, quite, uh, quite difficult. Um, 
I, before we go on, I just want to mention, just because it's a good example of this, it's the Mitchell and Webb sketch called Angel, Summoner and the BMX Bandit. <laughs> yes, I love this. <laughs> and it just, I think it really highlights the whole sort of, you need to try and make your team somewhat balanced power-wise. Mm. Basically, you have two people, you have, you've obviously got your Mitchell and Webb people, um, and Mitchell plays the angel summoner, which means if there's a problem, a crime is being committed, he can summon a choir of angels to come down and solve the problem. Like, literally nothing can stand against that. <laughs> and then Webb is the BMX bandit, and his thing is that he's really good on a BMX bike and can do some good stunts and wheelies and things. And it's kind of like, ah, oh, look, that woman down there is being robbed and attacked. And it's like, oh, we shall summon a horde of angels. And it gets to the point where the BMX bandit is really kind of like, you're not leaving anything for me to do. And the <laughs> angel summoner tries to to set up a situation whereby the BMX bandit has to leap between two buildings on his bike. And um, halfway across he goes, hang on a minute, I shouldn't be able to make this leap. This is way too far. You've got angels holding me up, haven't you? He's like, no, 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 you have, haven't you? Okay, yes, I'm just helping you just a little bit, just to get to the other roof. There's no, you have to call them off right now. And you can imagine how that all pans yes. out. <laughs> But it's a really great skit on the idea that if you have a team mm. and you overpower one person to that extent, then you make the team pointless. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that was—that is why the Justice League isn't too too bad um, in terms of Superman because he is very overpowered. But he also has some. There are some other very powerful people. So one of his natural enemies on the Justice League is first of all Wonder Woman because she's very very strong. But actually, technically, she is a better fighter than him. Yeah, she's technically a better fighter than him. The other one is actually Shazam because one thing that Superman is actually quite weak against is magic. He's not very good with magic, whereas Shazam. Yeah. Um, obviously is a being of magic so the two of them can go head to head and um, and we'll talk about it in a minute in terms of interesting arts for powerhouses but the other thing that sort of works with Superman particularly when he's fighting people like Batman or Shazam or Wonder Woman is that he is not going in for the kill so he does have to hold himself back Yeah, and we'll yeah, talk definitely. about that in a little bit more detail later on so, um, as we've said, a powerhouse can, in physical conflicts, make the rest of the team unnecessary. <laughs> Angel Summoner and the BMX Bandit. Yeah. <laughs> um, further problems mean that you need a villain to take out your powerhouse to establish how tough they are and that the conflict cannot be solved by brute force. Now, th this is actually a pretty well-documented science fiction fantasy um, <laughs> effect called the Wharf Effect. And <laughs> the Wharf. <laughs> I want to talk about Wharf a little bit because, yes, in the next generation... The wolf, the Klingon warrior, proud warrior race, and he is absolutely the pinnacle of, of, of being a you know the flower of Klingonhood, if you like, yeah. Because he genuinely believes all the honor and blood stuff. Whereas a lot of the other Klingons you meet are kind of like, we mostly just want to drink, have a good time, and get into fights. Whereas Wolf's like, no, no honor and blood kind of, yeah, all the way through. And Wolf was raised by humans, so he's got a strange perspective on his own people, but. A security officer on the Enterprise, generally he doesn't have very much to do because it's not usually a fisticuffs kind of situation. No. And if it is, then they have to knock Worf out, usually in the first three or four minutes of an episode, to establish that this is a, not a fisticuff situation that could be solved by this proud Klingon warrior. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Alternatively, 
when you, I mean, and again, this is an interesting art for powerhouses, so we'll go into more detail in a minute. Deep Space Nine actually does something with this um, in a way that is very, very interesting and a little bit chilling as well. So you can always trust Deep Space Nine for that. <laughs> <laughs> what? Um, but yeah, the, if you basically, if you've got a character who needs to be knocked out in the first five minutes of each of your Creature of the Month Mm -hmm. episodes or creature of the week episodes then you've probably overpowered your power <laughs> yeah absolutely and it, the other problem with that is and this is again one of the things that happens with superman is that if the powerhouse is consistently being knocked out all of the time then they aren't really a powerhouse anymore are they no and it results in them being underused so they either need to be a powerhouse with something else mm -hmm. Or, uh, anyway, there are lots of different things you can do, and it's not a case if you can only have one archetype, you can't blend things, etc. Yeah. Um, and there are ways, I mean, Madeline's already mentioned the no-kill policy, for example, yeah. and obviously powerhouses generally can't bilocate, so they can't be everywhere at once. No, absolutely. They have to physically be, unless you're like Q from Star Trek. <laughs> Let's not talk about Q. Q is Q. <laughs> Q is Q. Okay. So let's talk about interesting arcs for powerhouses because this is this is where I, I'm really like properly engaged because I think there's some really interesting stuff here. Yes. So the first one is I'm too strong and I could hurt someone. Everyone is fragile and I can never fully relax. So this is one we definitely see with Superman, who one of his greatest fears is not being able to control his powers and destroying everything around him. And this means that every time he goes into any kind of battle, he's holding a lot of himself back um, in order to ensure that he doesn't just destroy everything. Yeah, definitely. And if you think about it, the I don't really want to mention Twilight, but it's, it's that sort of, okay, bugger, I've fallen in love with a human. I might accidentally crush her skull by stroking her hair kind of thing that I can never, ever let my guard down. Yeah. So you almost don't meet them as a full person until someone can meet them on their own terms. Yeah. If you've ever held, like, a freshly born... I say freshly born animal, but if you've ever, <laughs> if you've ever, held, ever held a newborn of any kind... That was absolutely the grossest way you could have described that. <laughs> They're all ripe. Uh, no, sorry. <laughs> I cannot be. I, I I've held a child who's only a few days old, and it is the most terrifying experience ever. Because I'm like so fragile. Yeah, so so absolutely. fragile. It's the same. I've I've held newly born sort of little bunny rabbits as well, and you're like, oh my god, they're so small and they're so weak, and it's terrifying. It's actually really really scary. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. And then imagine that the entire world is basically made of sugar paper as far as you're concerned. Yeah. I think if I was Superman, I'd bugger off. <laughs> I'd try and find somewhere a bit more robust to live, because at that point it's kind of like, I'm stressed all the time. But I think the other thing is, like, if you were Superman, you'd bugger off because you don't like people. Yeah. <laughs> to the Arctic I go. <laughs> um, yeah, absolutely. Um Sorry, I'm not digging at, at Jules. That was just a joke. Jules likes some people. Right? Uh, well, uh, yeah, okay, I like some people. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, 
You do have that. You can have that storyline. Uh, the other one, which is very common, is um, I'm strong, but not very bright. Yes. Sorry, please carry on. Well, I was going to say, the thing with being very bright is that sometimes you have sort of the the tank who is who is literally quite a stupid character. They have to be ordered around to do pretty much everything. They don't necessarily have their own original thoughts. And sometimes you might have a tank who, you know, they're, they're a fully functioning, you know, human being. They're, they're not a cartoon-esque you know, grunt character, or they're not a, you know, a, a robot which is being sort of controlled or something like that. You have a character who is, who, who's just an, a normal kind of person, but isn't necessarily very highly strategic, isn't necessarily someone who does the planning or anything like that. So Little John is a really good example of this. You know, he is Robin Hood's lieutenant, um, but he's not the one who comes up with most of the schemes. Yeah, or um, Fezzik in The Princess Bride, played mm-hmm. by Andre the Giant. Yeah. Again, that character is not generally bright, but he's really good-hearted mm. and very strong. No one can really stand against him. Yeah. Um, but he can be outwitted. Yeah, absolutely. Um... And I, I think this is a particularly interesting trope when the character is aware that that's where their weakness is and they're maybe a tiny bit sensitive about it. Yeah, absolutely. Um it's also kind of interesting when you have characters who, you know, they are that they are the tank, um, and they are actually intelligent. They're smart. They have some potential, but they're actually not fully formed yet. They're not. They ha- don't have the experience. They don't have. They they don't have the training in order to kind of take over um, from something else. They still have to have the help of the leader in some way. Um, one example of this, and I've n- I haven't actually watched it. I've, I've never seen it. I just know of this um, because I saw a breakdown from someone else. Um, but I think it's one of the the Justice League's no Teen Titans. I think it is or Titans or something like that. You have um, oh my god, I can't remember his name. The half robot guy, Cyborg, Cyborg. Yeah. Um, and I think it's Robin who is the leader. Um, Cyborg is the eldest, but Robin is the leader. And yeah. Cyborg kind of wants... He, he is the tank. Um, he wants to be the leader. He wants to take charge. And there is this kind of this battle over it. But ultimately, Robin is the better leader, even if um, Cyborg is smart and has his own skills in his own right um, and is physically much more powerful. Yeah. Um, and it all comes down to actually, the leader isn't necessarily the most powerful person, it's the person who can who can delegate and who knows what works best and who can trust with certain skills and things like that and who can strategize. So um, when we talk about the character not being very bright, that that's not right. They are mindless or stupid necessarily. Um, it can come in all sorts of avenues. Yes, definitely. Um, yeah, I wouldn't use the word stupid. It's more a case of someone who's perhaps not academically gifted. Yeah. Or, and or... maybe is aware of it and it is kind of a bit sensitive when they are around other people who are very clever. And it sort of compounds the idea that they believe they're not clever or they can't be clever. Or, the, or that they're not worthy of certain things or that they're dispensable. I think that's a yeah. very pow- that's a really, really interesting story. Or when other people look down on them as well. 
yeah, that the, I'm just a grunt type attitude and they start believing it. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a really interesting arc. Um, the one that I really like in this, I'm going back to Worf now in Deep Space Nine, mm-hmm. is on, you know, coming up against an enemy that you actually, that the, the tank cannot vanquish. Mm-hmm. The true origins of strength are revealed and they turn out to be not merely physical. Mm-hmm. Wolf gets a lot more action in Deep Space Nine. Um, obviously, the setting is a space station in the Bajoran system and there's a wormhole opening and, you know, there's a lot of people fighting over this wormhole. Plus, there's a religious war going on between the Bajorans and the Cardassians. Yeah. Obviously, the space Cardassians, not the Kim Cardassian and that lot. <laughs> pretty sure that they weren't involved at all. <laughs> not unless the Bajorans started marketing their own makeup wear and leggings and shit and the Cardassians didn't like it. Weird genre crossover there, guys. I'm just, I'm just imagining the entirety of Deep Space Nine, but it's actually just the Kardashians instead now. <laughs> Do we yeah, exactly see, the Bajorans the would have kicked their asses. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, back to, back, back to this episode. Um, so you're already in a hot pot. There are a lot more physical threats and fights and things. Obviously, Wolf gets a lot more usage himself. There's a lot more going into battle. For one thing, they've got a cloaked um, ship as well, mm. which is something that the Federation has never done before. Mm. So they have a cloaking device that's on loan, basically. On loan, inverted commas. Yeah. Um, and that ship is really designed more as a warship than an exploration vessel, mm. which, again, is a big departure for the Federation. So with that set up... Um, things kind of just go from from bad to worse when you get to Deep Space Season 9. Mm-hmm. Um, in episode 113, by Inferno's Light, Worf, Garrick, General Martok and Dr. Bashir all get abducted by the Jemadar. Mm-hmm. And basically Garrick and, Dr. And, and Bashir are, are working on a way of getting them out of there but they need time. Mm-hmm. Um, Martok has been badly injured. He's lost an eye. So it's down to Worf to try and buy them time. And the only way they're doing it is it, it's kind of a, a form of torture. Worf is forced to fight in an arena against Jemadar warriors every day, mm-hmm. over and over and over again. And he loses every single time. They don't kill him. He just, he loses, he gets injured, he gets sent back to the cell and then he's wheeled out again the next day. It's kind of like they're playing with him. They're playing with this Klingon warrior. Yeah. And it's if you think about that, if you've ever done a martial art or you've ever done something where you were good at it and then you you failed once and then you failed again and again and again and again, it, it's a war of attrition on your psyche. Mm. It's a hideous thing. And yet Wolf picks himself up every time and carries on in order to buy this time. Yeah. And it's, it's Sorry, I'm just also... It's another point. It's hideous enough for us to believe, but also for a Klingon as well, where defeat yeah. is, you know, absolutely... To, to be defeated is the ultimate dishonour. Yeah, um, the Klingons are basically Viking samurai. Yeah. Um, to, to basically be in a position where he keeps being defeated and he keeps going back. And, I mean, that's the ultimate sacrifice from from Worf. That's a deep, deep pain for Worf. Yeah, so this is, this is a powerhouse who is consistently getting his arse handed to him on a daily basis. Mm. And it gets to the point where the Jemadar warrior refuses to fight him any further. And when the founder asks why, the warrior looks at Worf and says, I cannot defeat him, I can only kill him. 
And I always found that a really powerful moment because that's a case of, you're right, he, he, you're physically stronger, you've been genetically engineered to be stronger than the Klingon. Hmm. As long as you've got your Ketracel white, you're fine, no one can stand against you, not even a Klingon, not even Worf, who is like the flower of all Klingons. Mm -hmm. And yet, he has something that you cannot touch, and it is that integrity, it is that warrior spirit. And that's the true origins of, of Worf as a powerhouse's strength. And I found that a really, really interesting arc. And I'd love to see that explored more in other avenues. Yeah, absolutely. And then Deep Space Nine did right by Worf, I think. They actually explored what it was to be a powerhouse in more ways than one. So I really, really like that. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so let's look at some of our favourite powerhouses in fiction. Yes. Um, my... Uh, this I don't know if this will more surprise people or not, but thinking about it, obviously I love Firefly. Mm -hmm. um, I'm generally a fan of things Joss Whedon creates. But the powerhouse is not Jane, who is the big bloke with the big guns. Because mm -hmm. he is erratic, he's a maverick. Mm -hmm. It's not Mal. Mal is the leader. Mal is the malcontent, strangely enough. <laughs> um, the powerhouse is Zoe. She's steady. She's good in a fight. She thinks things through. Her skill set in fighting is very good. She, she is a you know classic soldier type um so yeah she is the one who even though she is female and she is smaller than the blokes etc she is the powerhouse of that team in my opinion yeah she's definitely the one if she arrives at the battle everyone goes Oof, she's arrived <laughs> thank goodness i mean you even get it from wash it's kind of like oh god we're doomed and then zoe turns it's like, we're saved we're fine let's get those <laughs> It's still that moment that gets me every time in Firefly, which is Mal and and Wash being tortured, and Zoe just walks in, and they're like, "You must choose one. Which one? Are you? My husband. <laughs> I'm taking yeah. him now. Bye bye. <laughs> this is not a choice." <laughs> yeah, no offense, Mal, but obviously. <laughs> yeah. So I I just I, I I agree. I think she's a great powerhouse. Um, another really, really lovely powerhouse who's a female character is from the Orville, if anyone who's ever yes. watched that, and that's Lieutenant Alara Kitan. Now, I really, really like the way they did the Orville because they actually sort of started to think about how they could represent different things. So um, Alara Kitan, um, she comes from a planet which has increased um, gravity. Uh, like a, a, a larger amount of gravity. Um, and so because of that, whenever she is pretty much anywhere else, uh, where most sort of beings reside, she's incredibly strong. Yeah. Um, just because that's how they've kind of evolved. But she also comes from a society of people who don't believe in warfare, essentially, and who kind of really look down on her for becoming... A security guard, essentially. She's security. She's head of security. She's this very small, petite woman. But, you know, I love the fact that every time they kind of, they get to a door, they're like, um, Alara? And she, she just comes in and bends it. Punches through <laughs> it. Punches it's like, through you it, yeah. this ripped off? <laughs> yes, Captain. Um, but the, this is the really nice thing. Because of her background and stuff like that, she's She's a very sweet character. Um, she doesn't. She's not grown up being the tough person, because she's from a society of people where she's fairly average. Um, but she has had this whole thing, which is that she wanted to be out there doing security and stuff like that, and she was looked down 
you know, by her family who wanted her to be doing academic pursuits instead and didn't agree with her choice to what they essentially believe was joining the army. So um, I really, really liked that character art with her and I really liked her as a character. Yeah. Um, Well, while we're talking about female powerhouses, this isn't deliberate. We've just kind of like brainstormed a few. (laughs) Um, I talked about Fastgate fairly recently, but Erin Sung, Mm. who again is a peacekeeper, um, a sort of species of human who were descended from reptiles <laughs> but look like us and, you know, they can co breed with us. Um, yeah, even though you, you've got your main character who is a fairly buff bloke, Erin Sung is the one who is the reliable fighter, who is, has got the fighter's skill set and has got the fighter's mindset and, and generally turns up and, okay, if you need physical, if you need brute force, she turns up and everyone's like, oh, thank God, we're okay. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so I'm just gonna go. I'm gonna have to go ahead and say it. Um, one of my other favorite powerhouses, because I do like the Robin Hood mythos and stuff like that. Um, with is in the Lies of Locke Lamora. I really like the character of Jean Tannen. Um, yeah, it's an interesting one because he isn't just a powerhouse he isn't just a powerhouse yeah i think in the original kind of the original group he's he is the powerhouse in that he's he is the cavalry he's got his two um hatchets and he's the one who comes in and sort of does a lot of the beating up and stuff like that he plays the guard etc um and he does a lot of the battles he's his prowess in that is is phenomenal um, and the reason I actually really like his story is, without any spoilers, his role within that has to develop. He can no longer just be the powerhouse. He's also an incredibly gentle character, and he's actually, in terms of intelligence, he's probably more intelligent, or he's more academic than Locke. He reads a lot. He's quite gentle. He likes sewing. He likes the fine arts. He has a lot of skills in that. Locke is definitely better when it comes to scheming and coming up with ideas. And Locke is also better at false facing, um, without a shadow of a doubt. But Jean is not weak in any of these areas either. Um, And he has incredible strengths that Locke doesn't. Um, and he is consistently reliable. I think that's the thing about Jean Tannen, is that he's an incredibly reliable character. Um, and certainly if you're in a battle and Jean Tannen comes swinging in, you st- you feel relieved. So I think he's definitely one of my favourite characters and my favourite by far, my favourite powerhouse. Yeah. Um, okay, I'm mentioning Six of Crows here, but... Yay! <laughs> Obviously, you've got a lot of very capable characters in that who also have some very big drawbacks. Mm -hmm. But in my opinion, the powerhouse is Matthias because he is the most reliable fighter and it is largely what he is trained to do. Um, And you even have, um, spoiler alert for those who haven't read Crooked Kingdom yet, you even have the heroic sacrifice Mm. of the powerhouse Mm -hmm. as well, which I'm still not over, by the way. Yeah, no, I'm I'm not over either. I... (laughs) Damn, Matthias, he went through that whole journey of being the loner, <laughs> almost out for the revenge kind of thing. And <laughs> yeah, that, and that was classically following the trope, but in a really, really good way. Um, as we've said, you've got other skilled fighters, but Inej is more of kind of like the sneak yeah. thief assassin type. Jasper is, is you know, the gunslinger. Yeah. Sharpshooter. Sharpshooter, good luck guy, but also quite unstable in other ways <laughs> very unstable in other ways 
Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so yeah, definitely Matthias. Let's talk about Lord of the Rings. Um, obviously, Boromir dies, but we are left with another very obvious powerhouse in the form of Gimli. Yeah, I mean, when I was thinking about this, I was sort of like, okay, who consistently, when the smoke clears, when the smoke of battle clears, is left standing, surrounded by the corpses of his enemies? It, it is, it's Gimli. It's Gimli. He's the most reliable fighter. Um, he's grumpy and misanthropic to start with, and yet you become part of his team and he would literally die for you. He has this incredible sense of integrity and this great heart that's kept buried by this gruffness etc mm-hmm. and he's very no nonsense and simple it's always sort of and my axe kind of thing so he he's a meat and two veg fighter but he's very very effective yeah absolutely but he's also an interesting character because and i think a lot of people forget this because they've only seen the films or stuff, things like that you know he is a prince among dwarfs he's, yes. he's valiantly spoken he's part of sort of this royal family um he has artistic merits and pursuits and things like that <laughs> unlike hillbilly legolas <laughs> yeah which i'll never yeah, get te- over technically <laughs> <laughs> technically technically yeah um so he's he's got a lot of dynamics which i really like about gimli um he's just a great character yeah um okay we're talking about a, an example of a powerhouse from each of us um i mentioned gregory maudsley already but mm-hmm. In Unveiled, I haven't really gone for a powerhouse character as such, except with um, I Rule the Night um, slash Blood and Bone. If you read the scene where the gang are facing down a hellhound, then they kind of do form that classic team trope Mm -hmm. just for a little while. And in that group, you'd think, oh, yeah, maybe it's Kieran who's the powerhouse. I mean, blood of ancient Irish kings, etc., etc. But no, Kieran's actually quite erratic. And Kieran is suffering from quite a deep emotional wound at the time, which means you can't rely on him. No. It turns out that the, the... once again, the powerhouse is the quiet man, the, mm. the person who's really nice, who's literally probably the nicest person in all of the books, mm. who's just kind of like, I guess I'll come in and kill it now. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's Nick. Yeah. So, I mean, I'd love to... He'd hate it because he hates the supernatural, but I would love to have a situation where he was allowed to be the powerhouse again like that. Yeah. But he would absolutely hate it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but yeah, the classic, the quiet man, the really nice guy, the one no one's really got a bad word to say about, very, very strong, very big. Mm. And yet you kind of, he fades into the background. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So um, I think in terms of, well, in terms of the Hamashio cycle, the powerhouse is Faye. <laughs> I was thinking that. I'm like, it has to be Faye. She's she's reliable. She's not quite as... No offence to Rufus, but he is quite erratic. He is very erratic. Um, and actually, in terms of... Okay, in terms of magical strength, he's got her beat. Um, in terms of strategy um, and consistency and just being able to keep going. I mean, Faye can just start and not stop. She can just keep chipping away. Yeah. Yeah, so she's definitely she's definitely the powerhouse. Um, in Kestrel, Galahad is probably the powerhouse. Oh, easily. Yeah, yeah. 
be not just the powerhouse but definitely yeah definitely. yeah <laughs> again i don't have a <laughs> i just realized i don't have a powerhouse for harker and blackthorn well yet yeah i was gonna say yet but also there's there's the fact that i was thinking weirdly enough um in some respects uh, for Harker and Blackthorn, if M did actually appear in Harker and Blackthorn, she would be the powerhouse. Yeah, I, I guess because in in terms of what they face, is very rarely it's a fist fight. It's yeah. usually sort of esoteric and biological scientific knowledge. Yeah, so someone who could come in and literally go, yeah, okay, I'll just open the gates of death then. Yeah, um. <laughs> I mean, in some ways, um, Amy is actually almost powerhouse in some ways. Yes. Yeah fledgling powerhouse she's a fledgling powerhouse yeah um but damn if oh, i just love them it's, it's so good <laughs> i think it's brilliant so yeah i really like the powerhouse i think the powerhouse can, is sometimes underused but there's so many great possibilities there but of course there is the danger of how do you keep them from being overpowered how do you keep from underusing them um, how do you maintain the balance and not fall into kind of tired tropes? So there's a lot of difficulties when it comes to creating the powerhouse, but they're so worth it, man. They're so worth it. Definitely. Um, the other thing you can consider is the fact that maybe you won't have one definite powerhouse. So if you think of something like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, mm. technically it would be Buffy, but she's also many other things as well. Mm -hmm. The powerhouse in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, that character, that, that, that role gets handed around. And at various times, it's Willow, it's Xander, it's giles so it you know it really depends and you can do the same if you've got a team maybe you don't have a definite powerhouse but at different times someone's strength will mean that they're the powerhouse in that situation yeah absolutely yeah so there we go the powerhouse <laughs> the tank the tank um <laughs> the guy <laughs> <laughs> the guy everyone needs to have sorry just from a dnd &D perspective i just want to make a point which is that i'm part of a campaign <laughs> at the moment and the campaign is made up of a warlock and two um oh god what's the word uh oh christ almighty i've just forgotten the word rogues yeah a warlock and two rogues um, which isn't great because we don't necessarily have a tank, except we do have a tank because we have a warlock and they have they know Eldritch Blast, which is the tankiest of all tankiest moves. <laughs> um, so if you're playing D and D, <laughs> it's a good idea to have some kind of tank in some way. Otherwise, as my character came to realise very quickly when I started playing my character as the tank, I've died twice. 2.5 times my character has died <laughs> and and you're still kicking i'm still kicking that <laughs> to be revived like twice oh. I, I literally my heart stopped beating it was not good <laughs> so um yes having a tank good part of any kind of team what are your thoughts on it guys who are your favorite tanks one of the tanks that really really bother you do you agree with us do you disagree with us we'd love to hear from you remember you can get in touch with us via our facebook our tumblr or our twitter both individually or through our dissecting dragons pages before we go though it is time for our dissecting dragons recommendation of the week and jules do you have one for us i do i want to recommend the nevers which 
at the moment is being shown on Sky, but I'm really, like, fingers crossed it's going to get picked up by Netflix. Mm. Um, it is amazing. It's really, really good. And basically, it's set in an almost, almost steampunky Victorian London. Okay, you've had my interest. Happened... <laughs> um, I have to say, at this point, there is one thing about the Nevers that really, really annoys me, and that is that they call a set of special abilities the touch. And I'm like, guys, I was there first with that, okay? <laughs> it's really, really bugging me. Back off. <laughs> back off. That one was mine. Okay, but, you know, the English language is very versatile. Moving aside, what happened was there was a big event some years before the series begins, whereby mostly women, but some men as well, started developing strange extra abilities. And everyone everyone who was touched, inverted commas, in this way, got an extra ability. So, for example, there's one girl who's about 12 and she's around 10 feet tall. Um, there's some, the main character, Mrs. Mrs. True, sort of leaps forward into the future by a few hours or so and then comes back to herself in the moment and knows that that's going to happen sometime later in the day. Mm -hmm. There is an Irish girl who um, can see the connection of energy between things and it turns her into a great inventor, which, you know, is very not... <laughs> very, very not what women were supposed to be doing at the time. Mm -hmm. um, it's it's quite feminist in, in the sense of... It, it looks at the restricted role of, of women in Victorian Britain, but also um, the idea that there were plenty of women who were disagreeing with this and rebelling against it. And, you know, we're still working within the confines of their society, but, you know, we're still intelligent and weren't just interested in married babies and things. Um, there's an ongoing sort of story as well, which I really don't want to get into because, you know, you need to watch it. it it's hmm. just, it is just that good it's funny it's diverse um nobody is left out which is really really good in the sense of when i say nobody is left out i don't mean yeah we've got token representation i mean they haven't one thing that i really hate with certain series lately is that they've kind of gone all oh, white men are scum kind of thing yeah so if you have a white man in there they've just the, the entire series seems to revolve around crushing this person down yeah which is really unnecessary because we should all be inclusive um and it hasn't done that it's really good it's got a steve type character who can talk to birds okay i'm immediately <laughs> you, you are so you are so sold on this I'm and there's so a sold. there's a definite will they won't they kind of thing going on there as well oh. it's, it's basically madeline catnip <laughs> <laughs> you are you are speaking my language okay i'm really hoping that netflix picks this up fingers crossed yeah, and hopefully there'll be another season as well because that first season there wasn't enough of it I need more <laughs> <laughs> okay well thanks very much for listening guys and we'll catch you guys next week yeah thanks and goodbye bye you've been listening to Dissecting Dragons the speculative fiction podcast you can follow our podcast at podbean.com or from iTunes for more information, visit our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash dissectingreaders or check out our author websites at jaironside.com and madelinevaughan.com. Please note that no dragons were harmed during the making of this podcast.